Jewish audio on Torah.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchai, the laws of Sanhedrin, the courts, the Ho'enshin HaMesurimohem, and the punishments handed over to the courts to enforce the law, continuing with Pedic Shvi, chapter 7. Earlier, we learned various scenarios of courts. This guy says, I want to bring this to court locally. This guy says, I want to go to Jerusalem, to the Supreme Court, to the Sanhedrin. Now we learn a different scenario, and I'll tell you, by means of introduction, by way of introduction, the magic modern word for this in halacha, it's called Zablo. English, Z-A-B-L-A. Zablo is an acrostic in Hebrew. Zayin, Bet, Lamid, Aleph, Zablo. What does Zablo stand for? It stands for four Hebrew words. Ze, Borer, Lo, Echad. Ze, Borer, Lo, Echad. One side chooses one judge and says, this judge, this rabbi, this scholar, he's my man. I'm going to pick Moshe as my judge. The other guy says, ha, you're going to pick Moshe, I'm going to pick Yaakov as my judge. And then Moshe appointed by litigant A, Yaakov appointed by litigant B, they both choose someone that they feel would be a good third judge. Because after all, it's the third judge that's going to have the final say. Because majority rules, you need two against one minimum. And that's how you do a Din Torah, that's how you do a Torah law. This is the most common thing done today in Din Torah. I pick my judge, you pick your judge, the two appointed judges pick a third judge. So that way you're not going to three strangers. Now we have to point out, I have to point out, we must point out, that we're not talking about lawyers. We're talking about judges. Except that the judge also naturally will be more leaning towards the guy who appoints him. But he's a fair judge who can see the other side as well, and he's an honest judge. That's the best system proven to work in Bedin, in courts, in Jewish courts. And here the Rambam gives the building of how this comes about. Aleph Echad Mi Baladin, one of the litigants, Shomar, who says, Ish Blaney Yodni, I want so-and-so to be my man. He should be my judge. The Omar Baladin, the other litigant, says, Blaney Yodni, I'll pick so-and-so. One picks Moshe, the other picks Yaakov. Now we have two judges. Where? One was chosen by one litigant, the other was chosen by the other litigant. And another expression of this system is called Borer, choosing. Or Breda, the act of choosing. The two of them pick the third judge. And very often it could take months, because the two judges are fighting about who's an acceptable third judge. Because the third judge, he's the man. So they usually pick someone extremely smart, extremely wise, extremely God-fearing. And these three judges become the court of three who will rule. Why is this such a good idea? Because this brings about the greatest chance of having an honest verdict. Because we have one judge who's really concerned with litigant A, because he was appointed by him. But he's still God-fearing, and he can see the other side of the story. The other judge who's really concerned with litigant B, but he's God-fearing, he can see the other side of the story. And then they have both agreed to the third judge who will probably make the decision. Even if one of the two judges chosen by the litigants is a great scholar, and he's ordained from rabbi to rabbi going back to Moses. He cannot coerce his litigant, the other guy, to agree to have this one brilliant guy be the judge. But the litigant has the right to choose someone just as you have the right to choose someone. You can't force someone to go to this and this person even though he's the most reputable guy in the world. I have a right to choose my man as well. Now we're talking about the litigants choosing someone. What if one of the litigants accepts someone who's not traditionally kosher because he's related or because legally he's unfit to be a witness or a judge? And he picks him and chooses him, either to be a judge or to be a witness. Even if he accepted one of the people who are unfit because of sin. Like two kosher witnesses, to testify. Or like three members of a court to judge him. Even if whether he agreed to lose his rights, and to withdraw his position because of what they say. Or he accepts everything his fellow litigant will bring about through this guy. In other words, one of the litigants accepted a judge or a witness that Torah says he shouldn't have accepted. And the other guy agrees. So everybody agrees. If they accept by virtue of an act of acquisition called a kinyan, lifting a handkerchief or what have you, they can no longer retract. Because the kinyan is something that is a permanent thing. In Lake Konami, they did not make a kinyan, you can retract. Actually, until the final verdict is issued. What's the final verdict we learned earlier? Go pay him now. That's the final verdict. If the final verdict has been issued, and they had the money actually transferred from litigant A to litigant B by this guy's testimony or by this guy's judgment, now it's too late. Why? Because everybody agreed to accept this guy, and so on and so forth. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, let me tell you an example of what we're talking about. What if I have an issue with somebody? And I say, you know what? You know who I think the judge should be? The judge should be my father of blessed memory during his lifetime. 
My father was a very, very smart man. He was a very honest man. He was a very, as we say in Yiddish, Atsuya loves him there. Everybody respected him. Everybody liked him. The other guy says, your father? I trust him. So we both agree that my father should be the judge. Why? Because he's a good man. That's an example of how a relative could be picked to be a judge when by total law, anyone could say, your father? Are you crazy? I'm giving you an example of how this could be. Okay. By the way, my father intentionally did not involve himself in the world of Bedin. He didn't find that it was the best way to spend his time. He always preferred putting on film with a Jew and reaching out to teaching and inspiring rather than being a judge. That was not his specialty. He left it for the judges. Okay. Maybe that's why somebody would want him because he didn't do it. If somebody was obligated to take an oath in court, now, how does an oath work? We learned extensively earlier. The person is forced to come to court to take a holy object like a Torah scroll or sometimes for a God-fearing person up here at film, and he says, I swear in the name of God that I didn't collect, that I did collect, that I took, that I didn't take. That's a very serious thing. Or even a rabbinic oath where you don't have to hold the Torah scroll. You still take a serious oath. What if he said, listen, you don't need to swear in the name of God. I have a better idea. And a lot of people talk like this. He shall be to swear to me on your life. If you can swear to me on your life that you paid me the $100 you owe me, that's fine. Then we'll see if you walk away or if you die on the spot. Swear to me in the life of your head. I'll give you whatever on anything you demand. That's an expression of the way people speak. That's not the traditional oath. But anybody could anybody could agree to anything they want to. Two, two litigants can agree. In Konami Yodai, if they took this technical act of acquisition, like lifting a handkerchief or what have you, an exchange of something, in the they can't retract. In Konami Yodai, but if they did not do the symbolic act of acquisition, they can retract. He can retract until the judgment is final. The judgment is final. It's a done deal. He took the oath on his head. And he can no longer retract. Done deal. The high of the has to pay. Well, I think the same law applies. The mission is high of to someone who's obligated to take a rabbinic oath. That's the expression we learned repeatedly earlier. Hesus, rabbinic mandated oath, without a Torah, without film. The hafocha, we learned that the person who has to take the oath always has the option to flip it and say, you take the oath. According to the other, if they made an act of acquisition, a unique possession, that or the fellow already did the oath, and the yachalas, they can't retract. Hey, number five, well, I did the same lawyers. Initially, if somebody was not obligated to take an oath, the said, I'll do you one better. I'll swear. In the other, if they took this Kenyan, if he made a formal act of acquisition, and the yachalas, they can't retract. In the other, if they did not make this Kenyan, Apapi should keep the best, even though he accepted in a court of law. Chayzer, he can retract that Shibam until he finishes the judgment. He shall take an oath. By the way, I want you to know that today, when people go to a bedin, the two litigants go to a court of three, and they take, they accept upon themselves the bedin, the first thing the bedin says is, my friend, Lift this up, each of you, and make a kenyan. Do an act of acquisition that you accept our judgment. You, pick it up. You, pick it up. That's the importance of kenyan, even today. You know, at a wedding, we say to the groom, Hey, Mr. Groom, accept upon yourself the responsibility of this marriage. Here, lift this up. I'm just reminding you that the kenyan is not some euphemism from a million years ago. It's something very much alive and well today. Because in halacha, it's a very powerful thing. In our world, of the secular Western world, we're not that familiar with kenyan. But kenyan is a powerful Jewish act of acceptance of obligation. That's just parenthetical. Okay. If somebody was found culpable, liable, obligated in court, and the judge says, yup, you have to pay him a million dollars. And then, what they call in the, in the uh, world of Perry Mason, a ninth inning witness pops up from nowhere, and he says, hey, I have proof. And it was already past the judgment, post-judgment. But a new fact has emerged, a surprise witness, surprise to everybody. It undoes, it contradicts, it rescinds the judgment, and a new trial starts. What do you mean? The trial's over. But he has new facts. A new fact is a new fact. I guess in today's world it would be a form of an appeal. What if the judges say, listen, any proof that you have, we'll give you 30 days. you got 30 days. If March 1st comes and you don't bring your proof, it's over. Even though he comes with this new information just released by the CIA, it rescinds and undoes and reverses the whole judgment. Why? The litigant can say, hey, mister, the court told you you have 30 days. Now it's 31 days. He says, what should I do? I didn't have this information within 30 days. And now this powerful, earth-moving information, life-changing information came about. I found it after 30 days. As they used to say in Newark when I was a kid, do me something. But if the guy knew the facts, but he was just concealing it, for whatever reason, Ada said he does not undo or rescind the whole judgment. Kate said, for example, they said to him, hey, mister, you have witnesses. He says, I have no witnesses. Proof you have. You have any documents? He says, I have nothing. 
All of this is not logic, it is tradition taught by God to Moses and by Moshe Rabbeinu to us, beginning at Mount Sinai. Two, Bez and Shoshlesh and Echelku. What if you have a court of three and financial matters have a split? Shnaim and Zakai. Two say, not liable. Vechad and Mechaim. One says, liable. And he says, Zakai, then he's not liable. Majority of one is fine here. Two to one. Shnaim and Mechaim. Two say, liable. Vechad and Zakai. And one says, not. And he's liable. This is what we learned earlier about the whole Zablo system. One litigant chooses a rabbi judge. Second litigant chooses a rabbi judge. They choose a third. Who decides? So very often it's two to one. Two to one is good in financial matters. Echad and Mechaim. One says, not liable. Echad and One says, liable. Echad and Mechaim. And the third says, Je ne sais pas. I don't know. Echad and Mechaim. Two said, innocent. Echad or culpable. Lashli Shem and Aniyadeh. The third says, I don't know. What do you do? Here you add two judges. That's why we said that the number of judges in court is flex. Now you have not three, but five. Three said, not liable. Two said, yes, liable. Not culpable. Yes, culpable. Then three to two, not liable. Three said, yes, liable. Two say, no. Three to two, liable, culpable. Two say, not liable. Two, so you have two against two. And the fifth says, I don't know. And another two. So now we have seven. But four said, Liable or culpable. And one says, I don't know. Three said innocent. Not liable. Not innocent. Innocent is inappropriate in financial matters. And one says liable. And one says, I don't know. Whether the guy who says, I don't know, is still the same guy who said, I don't know. Somebody else said it in this case, because you have three who say not liable. You follow the majority. And one says, I don't know. So it's three against three. I don't know. They had two others. You can keep adding from seven to nine to eleven. Until you get to seventy-one. And thirty-five say liable. Remember, this is still a financial matter. You just kept adding. And the number 71 says, I don't know. They negotiate until they find one who's willing to cross the line. Cross the aisle, as they say. So you have 36. Who say, not liable or liable. Nobody retracted. And everybody is stuck in place. Then it's unresolved. And whoever has possession continues to retain possession. Gimel, the final paragraph of this chapter. Anyone who says, I don't know. Now here in my book it says, Enoi. Sorich is not required, but in the notes it says that the proper version is Sorich. He is required. Los Estam to give an explanation. The guy just can't say, I don't know. He has to explain the I don't know. Or idea and to inform the Ezatam for what reasoning? Ball, like, what reasoning? Ball, like, Hasopic, what made him develop his doubt? Just as the one who says, not liable, explains. The one who says, liable, culpable, has to explain. The guy who says, I don't know, also, according to this version, which we accept, does have to explain. End of chapter 8. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Sanhedrin, the courts. And the punishments that are handed over. To their authority, Pedic Chi'i, chapter 9. We begin, we begin with a fascinating law. Aleph 1, Sanhedrin, if there is a court in session. And the word Sanhedrin alludes to either the Supreme Court of 71 or a court of 23 licensed to deal with even capital issues. Sheposchuk Kulam, beginning of They were debating, they were getting into a capital case where if they found the person guilty, he would be taken out and killed, death penalty. They were debating a death penalty case. The Omru Kulon and all, let's say, 23 of them. At the very beginning, they all said, ah, this guy is guilty of sin. Chayav, he's guilty. He was uh, an ex-murderer. He's guilty. And they said, there's nothing to talk about. Let's pronounce him guilty and let's go home. Says the halacha, and this, of course, comes from the oral law. This fellow is exempt. He's not liable. He's found not guilty. Why? Because the system of Torah, not unlike the system in the West today, the system of Torah says everyone has a right to be defended. The worst criminal is appointed a defense attorney. Sometimes the criminal can't afford a defense attorney. He's appointed a court-appointed defense attorney. In Jewish law, we know we don't have attorneys. In Jewish law, the Sanhedrin. They are the ones who prosecute, and they are the ones who defend. If not one judge even bothered to offer an argument in defense of this fellow, something is not kosher. And we have him go home. And of course, the commentaries point out that we're only talking about the beginning of the lawsuit, the beginning of the case, not the lawsuit, the beginning of the trial. As time goes on and the debate is thoroughly exhausted, if every judge wants to find the guy guilty, that's fine. But at least there were attempts to bring up defenses. Commentaries say there are also technical defenses, getting off on a technicality. 
With 23 judges, somebody should be able to bring up at least a technical defense. And this is a fantastic law. There's a mirror law, and that is we learned with the laws of leprosy. That when somebody's leprous, head to toe, he's not uh, impure. Head to toe leprosy, something's wrong with it. Achi Yosham, there must be there at least Nixas, at least a few, one or more Mizaki arguing in his defense. Shayakhu Biskuse, who should argue on his behalf, the Yirbu Amachayabin, and then the argument fails. There are more judges who say guilty than not guilty. Remember, we said that in the case of the Sanhedrin, we rule by majority. So there were those who attempted a defense, and it failed. And then he's taken out to be killed, but there has to have been an attempt by at least one or more judges to defend. Bays to Sanhedrin Tano. A minor Sanhedrin. What's a minor Sanhedrin? A court of 23, as compared to the court of 71, which is the major Supreme Court. If they were split, this is what we call a split court. In Jewish law, we don't need a unanimous court. In Jewish law, we need a majority. Or, that is, in order to dismiss, in order to find not guilty, even a majority of one. In order to find guilty, we need a majority of two. What if there was a split court? Eleven say, not guilty, he should be exonerated. And eleven says, eleven say guilty. Twelve to eleven for not guilty. Perfect. He's not guilty, he's exonerated, he goes home. Majority of one. However, twelve say guilty. And eleven say innocent. That's a majority of one for guilt. No good. Because we learned earlier, you need a majority of two. Or, if it was a tie, eleven say not guilty. Eleven say guilty. Eleven to eleven. 11, to, 11 plus 11 is <coughs> 22. What about the 23rd? And the 23rd guy says, I know. I don't know. Now that's the problem when a judge says, I don't know. And here we're going to introduce the fact, very interesting law, that there has to be a court of 23. And when one of the 23 judges say, I don't know, it's as if he doesn't exist. So now suddenly we have a court of 22. Because I don't know doesn't work. You can't be a judge and say, I don't know. There's a wonderful joke about the Jewish jury. They tell that the jury was all Jews. And it was a, a very heavy case, a murder case. And finally, after debating the issue for three days, the foreman is called upon by the judge to give his verdict. And the foreman gets up and he says, Yohanna, we've debated backwards and forwards and forwards and backwards for three days. And we've argued ahina and argued ahina. And in the end, we have unanimously decided we should not get involved. So this fellow doesn't want to get involved. If he doesn't want to get involved, he's not there. So you have now 11 to 11. I feel the Mishnayim is asking furthermore, because we need a court of 23, even if you have 22 that says he is not guilty, he's exonerated, a Mechaivin, or 22, of 23 says he's guilty. That's a pretty good majority, 22 out of 23. And one of them says, I have no idea, I don't know, this is not a kosher court, because you only have a court of 22. Even if everyone on that 22 says guilty or not guilty, what do you do? You have 22, one judge is gone, because he said, I don't know. You see, Pushnayim, here's the process where they add two more judges. So now, instead of having 23 with one who doesn't know, which is 22, they now have 25 with one who doesn't know, which is 24. And that's the process of adding judges from the side. We learned earlier that they're always excellent super disciples who are there around the Sanhedrin, and you promote from that group of disciples. Suddenly you take two guys, two students, I don't mean students, 11 years old, two disciples, and they become part of the Sanhedrin. The one who said earlier, I don't know, who's now number 25, he's like he's not there. Because the rule is, once a guy says, I don't know, as we're going to learn more specifically, when somebody argues to defend for exoneration, for not guilty, he can't change his mind and argue for guilty. In the end, at the vote, he can do what he wants, he can vote his conscience. But the Torah is so concerned with the rights of the accused that when somebody begins arguing not guilty, a member of the Sanhedrin, he can't change his mind and lobby for guilty. He can't have had a, a, a vision. Even if he says, I don't know, he can't lobby for guilty. Because he cannot go back and lobby for guilty. So even after adding two, when you take 22 plus two, what do you got? S and B are but 24. Plus the one who says he doesn't know. So that's okay. Hopefully we can have a majority. A majority of one to exonerate, a majority of two to uh, find him guilty. Now what happens if 12 say not guilty? If 12 say guilty, so now it's 12, 12. He's not guilty. 11 say not guilty. And 13 say guilty. Even though we still have the original guy who said, I don't know. But you have a majority of two that say guilty. He's guilty. As long as you have a majority of two who say guilty, he's guilty. 
12 said, not guilty. And 12 said, guilty. And one says, I don't know. So now you have a new problem. You have 25. One says he doesn't know. So you have 24. 12 says, guilty. 12 say, not guilty. What do you do? You add two more. You add two more disciples. Now your court becomes a court of 27. And so also, this can continue almost endlessly. And you keep adding, and then you move forward. Until either, if the ruling is not guilty, you have a majority of one. Or if the ruling is guilty, there's a majority of two, a yeser or more. Then it could be pronounced guilty. If it just keeps going, that you have the same amount, who say guilty, say not guilty, and one says, I don't know. Or the guilty ruling is only a majority of one. What do you do? You can't rule somebody guilty with a majority of one. You can't have that verdict. And you keep going until this court of 23 became a court of 71. You just keep adding. Now, what happens when you reach 71? You now have this court of 23 has become a court of 71. 36, say not guilty. And 35, say guilty. So you have a majority of one, not guilty. is not guilty. 36, say guilty. Or 35, say innocent. You only have a majority of one. In this court of 71, you're still stuck with a majority of one. Here we have a new solution because we can't keep adding. We've added maximum. So what do we do? We enter into debate. The judges enter into heavy debate. That's why in, in the Western system of jury, the juries, which have other rules, but they can go another day and another day and another day. What are they doing besides eating and drinking? They're debating with each other, trying to convince each other. So this is the meaning of donim elu kenegedelu. The judges who say guilty debate the judges who say non-guilty and vice versa. Until one of them will be convinced with the words of the other. for not guilty and for guilty. One of it goes on and on and on and simply nobody's budging. So you have a trial. I guess in, American, in the American world, you'd say you have a hung jury. You have a hung judges. So the senior judge, the chief justice says, this judgment has become aged. I guess in, in the words of uh, the American system, you call a mistrial. And he's released, you send him home. You went through the process, you tried very hard, unable to reach a usable verdict. Next scenario, 35 say guilty. 35 say innocent. One says, I don't know. 34 say not guilty. And 36 says guilty. And one says, I don't know. Here we have a majority of two. Because there is a majority of two for the guilty verdict. And finally, the closing law, which is three. When the Supreme Court, which is the Sanhedrin of 71, has a difference of opinion, a debate which was not resolved. And remember, we talked about laws coming up to the Supreme Court. It goes from a court of three to a court of 23 to the Supreme Court when there are issues that can't be resolved. Whether it's capital law, or financial law, whether it's Torah law, meaning any matter of Torah law, you never add to a court of 71. You just debate. One side against the other, and you follow their majority. That's for a debate in an issue. Remember, we said issues are brought to the Supreme Court. But if the debate is not in an issue, but the debate is in a capital issue, which capital issues are brought to begin with before the Supreme Court? So we learned an example of a judge who is rebellious, a prophet who is rebellious. These are issues that are brought to begin with to the Supreme Court. They debate one another until they exonerate him, or they find him guilty. End of chapter 9.